Well, hey, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you all for, uh, for joining us this Sunday morning. Uh, we're just going to jump right in where uh, I'm going to try to condense my message uh, here a little bit. Let's hear for the Larsons showing up and bringing the... The bottom line is, uh, you know, it's not about the sermon. We're not here to hear a sermon. We're here to give glory to Jesus. And if the anointing hits my brother here and he wants to start preaching, then, then send it. And if we have to linger in worship, it's about Jesus. And so I'm willing to adjust my plans to what Jesus wants uh, this morning. Amen? Because our eyes are for him and he receives glory through what comes out of our mouth. We're not here to just receive a sermon. We're here to offer up a sacrifice of praise unto God and to uh, be yielded to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to be continuing our sermon series as that uh, slide up there shows on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Matthew 5, verses 33 through 37. Um, and so far in the Sermon on the Mount, we've covered some amazing topics, right? We've looked at the Beatitudes. We've looked at uh, Jesus declaring a new you are, a new identity over the body of Christ, that you are the light uh, and the salt of uh, to a darkened decaying world. And we've looked at what Jesus had to say about lust and about anger and marriage. And we've looked at some amazing texts and the best is yet to come. And all that to say where we land in our text today is kind of a head scratcher. It's like Jesus is just bringing the fire. We're getting like crushed in the best sense of the term with conviction. But then Jesus is inviting us into newness of life. And then out of left field, Jesus just declares no oaths. We're like, cut it out, right? And uh, for me growing up, my grandmother uh, had some rules when she would babysit me and my siblings. And, um, you know, obviously, like, you know, no punching your brother in the face and all this stuff. And, but she would go nuts if we walked barefoot on the basement floor, on the cold tile floor. Like, she would just rip into us, like, what are you doing? Get your shoes on. You're going to die. Like, and that was, like, just such a random rule, right? And so if we're honest at first glance with our 21st century ears, we feel like this is kind of like a bare feet on the basement kind of command. Like, Jesus, what are you getting at here with no oaths? And what we're going to see today, the title of my message is The Power of Our Words. What's clear in our text is whether we think our words don't really matter, what Jesus is making crystal clear to his followers is that our words, what comes out of our mouth, has tremendous power tremendous power to either bring life or to bring death, to either pull heaven down and the ethics of heaven down into our world or to pull the ethics of hell up into our world. Proverbs 18:21 uh, says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And that's what I believe Jesus is getting at today. So the three things to kind of frame out our time today, the outline, and then we'll read the text and pray and dive in. The three things we're going to be looking at, if you're taking notes, would be one, what was the first century issue Jesus is addressing when he, uh, when he declares uh, us to, to not take an oath? And the second thing is, the second point would be this, well then why is this such a big deal that Jesus would mention this in the Sermon on the Mount? And lastly, we're going to look at how it applies to us today. So Matthew 5, 33 through 37, let's uh, read this and pray. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we, we come before you uh, with our hearts open and our mouths full of praise, God, for who you are and what you've done. 
we, we come rejoicing in that you're a God who, who keeps his covenant promises. The word you spoke to Abraham, numerous uh, as the stars uh, in the sky, has come to fruition. And, and we're the, uh, we've received that promise. We're part of that promise. You're, you're a God who keeps his word. You're faithful. You're trustworthy. And so I, I just pray today, Lord, that our eyes would be on you. For those that are coming here and they're going through a difficult season, uh, they're watching loved ones maybe uh, uh, pass away or there's difficulties at work or there's transitions and moves coming up, Lord Jesus, that your precious promises um, would be the anchor to their soul, Lord Jesus, that when we look to you, we see that it's impossible for you to lie. And in your word, when you say you work out all things for good, uh, for those that love you according to your purpose, Lord, and when you say that nothing can separate us from your love, Lord, you mean it. And Jesus, when you said you go to prepare a place before us, you've done that, Lord God, and you're doing that. And so we come uh, to bring you glory and to bring you honor. And I just pray, Jesus, that you would be magnified today uh, and that I would decrease up here and that you would have your way with your word and your people in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. All right, so what's the, what was the issue of Jesus' day that he's addressing here in the Sermon on the Mount? Well, um, again, you've, we've looked at this refrain a bunch where Jesus says uh, six times in the Sermon on the Mount, this is the fourth time he said it, he says, you've heard it said, and then he talks about a command, and then he says, but I say to you this. Jesus, again, he's not pitting himself against God's revealed uh, law in the Old Testament. He's pitting himself against the pharisaical misinterpretation and misapplication of God's law. And so the command that Jesus is saying, he's saying, you've heard the Pharisees teach you some utter nonsense and garbage about oaths and vows, and they've done it from the word of God. But I say to you this, let me tell you the true weightiness of your words and the power of an oath and a vow. And so some of the texts that the Pharisees misapplied and misinterpreted would be Leviticus 19.12, which says this, you shall not uh, swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. And Numbers 32, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. And so in the ancient Near Eastern culture, before the time of Christ and during the time of Christ, uh, taking an oath and a vow was a very common practice. It's actually a common legal practice, often how you made kind of verbal, binding, contractual uh, agreements. And so the purpose of an oath is, is we swear an oath to assure others of our trustworthiness. And in taking an oath or vow in God's name, we are saying that our word is so truthful that we are willing to suffer God's judgment if we break and violate our promise and our word. So all to say is that, scripturally speaking, what we see in the Old Testament is that oaths were a really big deal. And if you're going to make a vow, you better make sure that if you're going to, you can back that check up. If you're going to write that check, you better back it up, is what the Old Testament was saying. And so then let's look at, well, how did the Pharisees completely butcher this, right? And they did some uh, exegetical gymnastics with the text, misinterpreting it. And they created, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes, they created these extra biblical commands called the Mishnah. And they put the Mishnah, their traditions, what they added to the word of God on the same par and same level with God's word. And in the Mishnah, they had a whole theology of oaths. And so what they would do, literally one of the lines is this. So the way they would wiggle out the idea of do not swear falsely uh, in, in the name of God, where they say, well, we just won't swear in God's name. So we can void our contracts. We'll, we'll swear by heaven. We'll, we'll swear by the earth. We'll swear by Jerusalem. And then with the different prepositions we use, we'll mix up the weight of what we do. So they literally, one of the, one of the lines in the Mishnah was, uh, was this. Um, 
if you swear by Jerusalem, you are not bound by your vow. But if you swear toward Jerusalem, then you are bound by your vow, right? So just, just prepositional religious nonsense, right? And it just created uh, just a, a crazy culture amongst God's people where no one could trust you at your word. Nobody was trustworthy, and everyone was making oaths that they weren't, um, weren't keeping. And so this is what we see in verse 34 through 36 of our text, that um, this is the context that Jesus is speaking into when he says in verses 34 through 36, he's like, listen, you think you're getting out of these Old Testament commands because you're not using God's name. But if you swear by heaven that you're going to keep your word, well, what is heaven? It's the throne of God. And if you're going to swear by the earth, well, that's his ottoman. That's his footstool. Okay. And if you're going to swear by the, by the city of Jerusalem, that's the city. Uh, that's my city. That's the Messiah's city. That's my, that, that belongs to me. And then the response, Jesus says this, I believe it's in verse 36. And then some people would swear by, okay, well, I know that all belongs to God, but I'm autonomous. I belong to me. So I'm going to swear by my bald, shiny head that I'm going to keep my word. And what Jesus says is your head, your bald, shiny head doesn't belong to you. You can't make your hair dark or gray or whatever. That's the Lord's. And so if you are even to swear on your own head, your head belongs to your creator who spoke you into existence. So no matter what, if you make an oath and a vow, it is always under God and it's in his sight. And so therefore it's binding to you and it's a really big deal. So stop this, stop this nonsense. And so what Jesus, um, Jesus does here is he calls this out and we need to ask, okay, well, well, why is that such a big deal? Why is going back on your word such a big deal? Well, it's, it's a really big deal because it's dishonoring God. It's, it's before God that you're transgressing his law. And then two, it's a great way to destroy society and pull up hell into our lives. Like, like imagine this, okay, you're in the first century and uh, your thatched roof is broken. You need like a new 30-year guarantee roof. And so you get a contractor and uh, you make an agreement with him and he's like, hey, after the work's done, I want you to pay me, you know, 7,000 shekels uh, upon completion of the new roof. And then what you do, because you don't want to pay him 7,000 shekels, is you try to sneak in a buy instead of a towards. And so you're like, yeah, man, I swear I will pay you by Jerusalem uh, after you're done with the project. And the guy's like, whoa, 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 what proposition did you use? And what did you swear by? What object did you swear by? And all of a sudden you're like, dude, I just said what I said. And all of a sudden you're in a standoff and everyone's wondering what object you swore on and what proposition you used. And it's just create, it's just nonsense. It's just madness. Nobody could take you at your word. Nobody trusted your word because everyone was lying and full of deceit. And that's what leads Jesus here. To, to mention the evil one. If you look in verse 37, this is what he says. The reason this is such a big deal is Jesus tells us. He tells us the reason it's a big deal is because of the source that all deceitfulness and lying originates from. Verse 37, let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil, or other translations say the evil one. And so if we were to ask the question, how does swearing falsely and lying and not keeping your word come from the evil one? The simple truth is this, is because lying is the native tongue of hell. It's the native tongue of hell. It's, it's, it's the, <laughs> Satan was, is the author and the father of all lies. In the kingdom of God, the kingdom that we're citizens of, there's only truth and righteousness, and sincerity, and we're to embody that as God's people because we exist to glorify our Father. And when we clothe ourselves in our hearts and in our mouths with deceit and slander and malice and, and, and hypocrisy, that's actually of the devil who we're imitating and not our Father who's reconciled us. In John 8, 44, Jesus says this. He's, Jesus always says some harsh things to the Pharisees. Excuse me. 
<laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, this is what he, uh, he says in, in John 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus here pulls no punches, and he's talking to the Pharisees who were the, who were the author of this religious madness. Like, here's the greatest tragedy of how destructive that kind of culture was in regards you couldn't trust anyone. It was actually the Pharisees and the scribes who were responsible for that. And they actually justified it using God's word to be dishonest. And they were leading God's people astray. And Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees in John 8, and he's saying, you're actually of your father the devil. You're not actually of your father. And, uh, uh, and, and then he says this, the devil is a liar. And not only is the devil a liar, he's the father. If you look at John 8, 44, at the very end, he is the father of lies. And what Jesus is saying there is that every lie that is spoken, every deception is actually birthed out of like Satan. Like Satan is the originator of that, the father of that. Like begets like, and that's the source of it. So then the implication of that is that when we lie and swear falsely and go back on our word and break our oaths, we are actually speaking the language of hell. We're speaking from hell and on behalf of the devil. That's why that is such a big deal and, and especially a big deal for the followers of Jesus. Like remember when we're gathering here and we are um, seeking, uh, pursuing the Lord together in praise and getting under his word, what we're seeking to become is disciples, better followers of Jesus who love God with every uh, fiber of our being and go and be about our father's business and love him. And so that's why we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus is teaching us in the Sermon on the Mount is that we've been reconciled and then given uh, this beautiful calling to be ambassadors of reconciliation, meaning we show the world what our Father is like. We exist on this planet to show the world, the lost, dying, dark, decaying world, what our true and righteous and holy Father is like in all that he's done for us in Christ Jesus. And so when we clothe ourselves as his followers in faithfulness and sincerity and honesty, uh, we're, we're imitating God. We're living in the sight of God. And when we live in hypocrisy and insincerity and deceit and dishonesty, we're actually imitating the other kingdom, the kingdom we've been rescued from. And that's why it's a big deal. We exist for God's glory. And in this sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is in, he's not just crushing us under the weight of, of, of our sins. He's showing us that, that we need grace and forgiveness. But he's also, we're going to look at the end here, he's offering us a better path. He's offering us newness of life and inviting us to be used by God to usher in his kingdom of truthfulness and honesty. And so uh, I'm going to cover this real quick. A quick uh, a rebuttal or kind of a thing you might be wrestling with is this, is, is Jesus saying that every oath is evil and that I'm a son of the devil if I'm in the military or a politician and was, you know, sworn into office and took an oath as a, as a doctor and all that stuff. There's two primary views here the, the, that, that scholars kind of uh, debate over, but the, the one that everyone pretty much generally accepts is that Jesus isn't condemning all and every oath. He's condemning some oaths rash vows, vows that you're not going to fulfill. Uh, what Jesus is doing here, because what we see in, in the scriptures is this. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, what we see is that oaths and vows are actually commended in scripture, just not every oath and vow. Okay, so just for the New Testament alone, I'll give you three examples. Um, and you can study this more. I have a ton of resources I can show you, but for the sake of time, I'm going to kind of gloss over this. In Hebrews 6, we see God takes an oath to confirm his word for us in Hebrews 6. We see um, uh, an angel in Revelation 10, 5 through 6, take an oath. And we see the Apostle Paul in Acts 18, 18, 
take a vow. And so what Jesus is getting at, I hear, remember, remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about him sawing your arm off and gouging your eye out. If we were to take that literally, we'd all be walking around like pirates and we don't want to do that. And so Jesus is speaking in hyperbole. And I think what Jesus is getting at is this, is listen, oaths and vows are a huge deal with huge implications and they should be reserved for matters that are extremely weighty and serious. And when you speak with an oath and a vow and invoke the name of God, those vows need to be kept. It's binding on you. And so, so I think what Jesus is getting at is think long and hard before you make an oath or a vow or better yet, just don't say one at all unless absolutely necessary. And Jesus' brother James in James 5.12 says this, but above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or, under, uh, or, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes or your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. And then Deuteronomy 23.21 through 23 says this, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But watch this. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. So you should be careful to do what has passed your lips. For for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. Jesus is saying, it's essentially like this. I used to do youth ministry back in the day, and it was always amazing to see parents would like just give like a $20,000 credit limit to like their teenager. And then, like, you know, you'd see the teenager coming in with, like, new kicks, new phones, and would take, like, the whole track team to Starbucks and just, like, you know, like, maxing that credit card out, not understanding how a credit card works, right? Like, you have to pay eventually. There's a bill coming in 30 days that you have to pay. And what was happening at the time of Christ, and we do this with our words, is we're, is, is we're essentially, we're swiping that credit card, not thinking that God's ever going to hold us to our word, right? And that's what was happening. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, be careful before you speak. Think long, be slow to speak. Because what you're doing is you're swiping the credit card and you're going to be held accountable for you saying, you know, I'm gonna, I swear I'm going to do this or I swear I'm going to do that. That's a really big deal. And there's a bill coming in 30 days and you need to be ready to pay that, okay? And it comes from the heart of Christ and from the scripture saying, we don't want you to be, ca- be condemned. These are kind of for, um, for weighty matters only you take an oath and a vow, for extremely weighty matters, not just to convince somebody that you're going to, you know, buy a car from them or whatever. All right, so lastly, we're going to look at, well, how does this apply to our lives as followers of Jesus in the 21st century? Well, Jesus gives a simple application. He's like, you want to change the world? Uh, You want to be my followers? You want to show the world what your God is like? Simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. When you say yes, mean yes. And when you say yes to something, fulfill it. And when you say no to something, don't do it. That's simply how you, that's a simple application Jesus gives. That my followers, because they follow me, the, the perfectly righteous, truthful, sincere son of God, they should be people who are known in their workplace, in their neighborhoods, in their, as the most trustworthy people on the planet earth. That every word that comes out of our mouth, we consider to be an oath. That we are a walking oath, essentially. That we are keeping our word. And when people see the body of Christ, they say, I have some things I disagree with him on this, but I can't deny that my neighbor or my coworker, that is a, that dude is a man of his word. And when he says yes, he's going to get it done. And so I think two things that are essential for our yes to be yes is the two things that we have to embrace is this. We have to embrace sincerity with our words and solemnity with our words. The first one being sincerity. 
Sincerity is simply this. It's when what's coming out of your mouth matches what you, what's, coming, what's in your heart. It's when the outside matches your internal heart desires. That's exactly what Jesus is saying on the Sermon on the Mount with adultery and, and murder and anger, so on and so forth. It's the same with our words. The opposite of sincerity is hypocrisy. Uh, when the yes of your mouth doesn't correspond to the yes of your heart because you're lying. And I think a biblical example of this is Peter denying Jesus three times, right? G Peter here, he actually invokes a curse upon himself. He makes a vow, and he's doubling down. He, something's coming out of his mouth that he knows is not true. And uh, Matthew 26, 69 through 74 says this. Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man, Peter said. And after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for your accent betrays you. And then watch this, 74, and then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man, and immediately the rooster crowed. Peter didn't just, see, Peter literally invoked a curse on his own head, lying to these people that he did not know Jesus. And the bottom line is this, is the linchpin, the only thing that's going to uh, help you and I as followers of Jesus to walk in sincerity is through the fear of the Lord, is fear of God. That's, that's the only way that's possible, when the fear of the Lord trumps our fear of man. Because every situation when we're tempted um, to say uh, yes rather than no, it's usually because of peer pressure. And we want the acceptance and the approval of our peers or, or whatever versus uh, the acceptance and approval of our God. And Peter here, he, he made an exchange. He was insincere. He lied. And he lied in a, with an oath. He invoked a curse upon himself. And basically what he was exchanging there, he's saying, I, I want to be spared the judgment of man, and I'll take the judgment of God upon me. And every time that we, we try to lie or twist our words or hide our faith and, 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 and kind of twist the truth to, to be accepted by man, we're not living in the fear of the Lord. We're living in the fear of man. And that, I believe, is the source of our hypocrisy and our insincerity. And that's the beginning of wisdom. I'm reading through the Proverbs right now. The beginning of wisdom is walking in the fear of the Lord. That he knows, he knows, he knows when my yes doesn't correspond to the yes of my heart and I want to live pure in heart so that I will see God and living in the sight of God. That's how I'll walk sincerely and say, come what may, whatever human court or my neighbors or my coworkers want to say, I'm going to speak the truth and only but the truth, so help me God. Um, and I think... Um, True sincerity is born out of getting our priorities right before God. When we have our priorities out of order and work becomes first and, and, you know, um, and then our friends and then our kids and then our spouse and then our, our Lord, we're, we're more frequently uh, saying yes when we should be saying no. But if we get our priorities straight and we say yes to the Lord and yes to our spouse and yes to our kids and then yes to work, I feel like that's the place of blessing uh, living in the will of God. And so if you were to do a, an audit of your calendar right now, and I know, I know for some of you work can be super busy and all that stuff, but if you were to take an audit of your calendar, I would just encourage you, um, your biggest priority, the biggest blessing you can give to anyone is your walk with the Lord. That's the bottom line. And so is the Lord on your calendar? 
Is he? Or is everybody else and everything else on your calendar? Do you have a weekly, a monthly, yearly rhythm in your walk with the Lord? Jesus would frequently say no to the ministry and say no to his disciples, and he would climb a mountain and spend all night with his father. And he got his priorities straight. He got his priorities straight. And so when you begin to put your top priorities on your calendar, you, be, you can begin to fill your calendar with ultimately matters, what God has called you to, your walk with the Lord, your spouse, date nights. Joan Abbey did a, let's hear it. Put our hands together for Joan Abbey, bring the fire yeah, last week. That was awesome. But last week, you know, honoring our marriage, spending intentional time with our, our spouse, and then uh, as, as, as parents getting vacations in and daddy-daughter dates with your kids, you get all that penciled in. And so then when the friends come or work comes and you say, hey, can you take on this new project? Or hey, can we gather here? And you say, no, actually, I, I, I got an appointment that day with somebody who's more important than you, apparently. So sorry, I can't do that. But hey, next week or maybe the week after, but, but that's the bottom line. When we begin to get our priorities straight and live under the fear of God, our calendar should look like that. Our calendar should, should show us what our priorities are. Somebody, uh, I'm stealing this from somebody else, but they said, all I need to know about what your priorities are are your wallet and your calendar, your bank statements and your, and your Google calendar. And I, and I can tell you what you truly value in life. And so let's do an audit of our calendar and live, our, live out our priorities, the priorities that God has given us. And lastly, and I'll slowly wrap up with this, is uh, not just sincerity of heart that's born out of the fear of the Lord, who sees the all-seeing God, who sees uh, like, like, like what's going on in my heart and what's coming out of my mouth, but to solemnity, solemnity. Uh, 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 Webster, Webster's 1828 Old English definition of solemnity is awesome. Manner of acting awfully serious. I love that. It sounds like a, uh, I don't know, a wise old Southern man who said the manner of acting awfully serious. And uh, I think we need what Jesus is getting at repeatedly in the scriptures and in the Sermon on the Mount is that our words matter. We take our word, our talk is cheap. We don't care. We, we have stupid rhymes that sticks and stones, you know, whatever. Like, it's just not true. Our words, the power of, of death and life is in the tongue. The Proverbs say that. And, uh, in Matthew 12, 34 through 37, look what Jesus again has to say about the Pharisees in regards to their speech and what they're teaching the people of God about their speech. Again, harsh words, but Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders who are leading God's people astray. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you on the day of judgment, People will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. And what Jesus is getting at here is that there are eternal consequences to what comes out of our mouth. There's eternal rewards. There's eternal consequences. what Jesus is saying. I mean, he's speaking so strongly here. Account for every careless word that we have spoken. And there's a beautiful invitation here. There's a conviction that comes over us if our words have the power to bring in death and to pull up hell into our lives. But the flip side of that coin as followers of Jesus, please hear me on this church, is that we have the blessed opportunity to speak life over people, to cause life to flourish where we go, to pull down this heavenly reality with our prayers, with our praise, with our encouragement, with our speaking the truth and love to our brothers, with keeping our word. We have the power to cause life to flourish in our homes. And this is something the Lord's been convicting me of recently. Um, I, okay, good. My kids aren't in the audience. Anyways, I've been having, uh, there's one, one kid in particular that is, is, they're just in a season that 
in the two, the, the, the two to three year old range, you know that you need you need some anointing oil and some intercessors for those seasons as a parent. And I've been having trouble just connecting in the limited time that, um, you know, someone who works full time gets with their kids. It's just, it's always as a father it just hurts you when like a lot of it is just discipline and you're kind of making withdrawals from the relational capital, not putting, not making a lot of deposits. And so I've just been praying, for, like praying pretty heavily, like, Lord, just give me opportunities to connect. Give me opportunities to speak life into my daughter's life. And she's learning how to ride her bike. And the Lord just gave me, um, and I'm not sharing this to, to, I'm just sharing this illustration, not to bring any glory to me, just showing you the power of our words. And my daughter is learning how to ride her, her bike and she's making some progress, but she wanted to, to quit. And that morning that literally like God, the best parenting you can do is praying for your kids. Um, I'm still, always still from Paul Miller, but in a praying life, he says the best parenting I ever do is just praying for my kids, praying for opportunities, praying for wisdom for them, praying for opportunities to connect with them, to get their heart, not just their obedience. And uh, she had her head down. She was kind of like discouraged and there's kind of just shame wrestling over her and she was scared. And I just had this opportunity and it was so, the reason I share this is that I was like, the Holy Spirit reminded me that I was praying and then the, I really believe the Lord just filled my mouth and this uh, gift of encouragement is something that I'm working on. It's not something I have. <laughs> it comes freely. Like if you know Joe Workman, it just comes out of his mouth. It's amazing to know Joe Workman's being encouraged. And for me, it's like, it's, a, it's, a, it's something I'm, I'm weak in that I'm trying to grow in. And I just began to, to speak life over her and say, hey girl, I'm so proud of you. You're doing something that's so scary, but look, you're making progress. And it's not about, it's not about perfection. If we're not failing, we're not trying, you're doing such a great job. You have to know, daddy is so proud of you. I'm so, and the reason, and when I started speaking this life over her, you could, it was, you could see life begin to birth and someone like death was hanging out, like, like, like in speaking in extremes here, but like all of a sudden her, you could see her chin go up, a smile get on her face. And like something was instilled in her in that moment. And that's the power we have. Every situation we go in with our words, right? To bring life or to bring death. Um, and so then the application would be this is, is where in your life is God calling you to speak life and blessing and encouragement rather than condemnation, criticism, and a curse? Is that at home? Is, 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 is your, your spouse or your kids or coworkers just under criticism and complaining? Or are, are they under encouragement and blessing? And are you, are you embracing Hebrews 3, I believe it's verse 13, that says daily, let's encourage one another daily. Lord, give me opportunities out of my mouth, my redeemed mouth, to speak life over those. And this is the, the beautiful thing that I've seen in my own life is the invitation Jesus gives us. I'm going to call up the band. We're going to wrap up with this. So, Ben, you can come on up. Is, um, going back to the story of Peter. Peter denies his rabbi, his savior, his Messiah, the one he's left everything to follow. And he's denied him three times to the point that he would even invoke a curse upon him and swear upon himself and swear an oath that he's never known the guy. And um, Jesus dies, he's resurrected, and there's this beautiful scene. I encourage you to turn to uh, John 21. The verses will be on the screen as well. But Jesus comes back for Peter. And Peter, you better believe, has been weighing heavily as a man, like as we're all prone, we're aware of our weaknesses and there's moments in our life where we just think we'll ne we're never able to bounce, bounce back from, right? And I think for some of us, when we, when we hear about the power of, of your words and, and we think about maybe things we've spoken uh, this past week and we're, 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 we're sitting under condemnation, if it's condemnation, it's not of the enemy. The enemy brings condemnation to just leave you where you're at and to condemn you and lead you to death. Uh, the Holy Spirit brings conviction to lead you to Jesus. And Jesus always leads us to newness of life. And so that's what we see with Peter. Peter is fishing, 
Jesus prepares a, a, an awesome breakfast. This is after the resurrection. Before Jesus' ascension in resurrection form in, in his glorified state, he appeared to his disciples. He shouts from the shore. They go have a, 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 a breakfast on the shore with the resurrected Jesus. And I'm sure the picture is there. The, the smoke's, you know, like doing this thing. The bonfire's doing this thing. And all the disciples are gathered. And there's an elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room is this. Is Peter's probably got his head down. And he's like, Jesus, is Jesus going to address my denial of him? Like, I invoked a curse upon myself, and this man, the man I denied, is standing before me alive. Is he going to, like, call lightning from heaven down upon me because of the, the curse, the oath I broke, my lying, my deceitfulness? And look at this beautiful exchange. Jesus goes right to Peter's heart. He goes right to the elephant of the room. And, and with the mouth that Peter cursed and denied his Savior with, Jesus reclaims that and renews it and says, out of that mouth, you now are going to speak life over my church. This is uh, John 21, 15 through 17. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Man, woo. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. The Peter that was disqualified, the Peter that thought he should have never been the rock on which Christ would build the church, the Peter who thought he blew it and there was no bouncing back because he's been a man of unclean lips. He's been a man who's pronounced curses to God. And this is what Jesus says. He said a second time, Simon, Simon son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, tend to my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Can't even read my notes, my goodness. And Peter was grieved because he, was, because he said it the third time, the same exact amount of times that he denied Jesus. He said, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. You know, the Lord only uses broken vessels. Peter wasn't qualified. Peter was disqualified. He was under a curse. But the resurrected Jesus, it was post the cross where Jesus became Peter's curse for him. So instead of a lightning bolt falling upon Peter, forgiveness fell upon Peter because his curse fell upon Jesus' head, not his own. And Peter here, he didn't just receive forgiveness. Jesus invited him to a new life, saying the, 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 the tongue, the mouth you've used to curse my name, to reject me and to deny me, that's the mouth I want, and that's the mouth I'm still going to use to change the course of human history. That's the grace of God to us today. That's the grace of God to you today. Jesus with open arms, all of us have fallen short of our, of our words, and I'm, I'm the, the chief of sinners up here. And Jesus doesn't condemn us. He offers forgiveness, and he's, he's extending to all of us an open invitation to receive fresh forgiveness for the, the, the lies, the deceit, the harshness, the criticism, the death that's come out of our tongues. And he's inviting us today and this week to walk in repentance and a beautiful invitation to speak life and to feed the flock of God and to proclaim the gospel and understand that, yes, our words have power, but this redeemed tongue will be used by the power of the Spirit, not the power of the enemy, to cause blessing and life to flourish, to pull down heaven. That's the invitation of Jesus. So let's respond by taking communion. 
and then we'll sing one last song of praise to our king. So if you need communion elements, there's some in the hallway there in a basket. You can grab those. Um, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he shared one final meal with his disciples, knowing this, knowing that they were all going to run like cockroaches. They were all going to leave him. It wasn't just Judas. All of them fled. All of them denied him. And Jesus still at the Passover meal said, take this bread, which is going to represent my body broken for you. I'm still going to <laughs> I'm going to give my life for people who are going to betray me. I'm going to give my life for those who are unfaithful. All of that happened. He shares this meal. He knows they're all going to run and scatter like cockroaches and abandon him. And he says, I'm, I'm still going to break my body for you. My blood is still going to be shed for your sins. The curse, Peter, you're about to invoke on your head is going to fall on my head instead of your heads, your head. And that's what we celebrate today. This is a celebration. Every Sunday we gather, it's a celebration of the forgiveness and the grace God has given us. And not just that, the forgiveness that then leads us into freedom and newness of life and a fresh start today. That's what Jesus is offering us, a fresh start. It's all him and what he's done and what he's invited us into you, out of death and out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So this is the body of Christ broken for you at your weakest moment, at your worst moment. While we were sinners, he gave his body for you. And his blood shed for your sins and mine. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift of forgiveness, the gift of newness of life. Amen.